Hi, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on Earth Matters, we hear part two of a two-part show with anarchist, activist, musician, author and podcaster Margaret Kiljoy. Margaret's the host of a podcast called How to Live Like the World is Dying and is speaking today about the concept of preparedness or prepping from an anarchist perspective. This interview was sourced with thanks from the Anarchist Digital Community Centre. It's going down at itsgoingdown.org. And so go bags are useful. But they're, they're, I think, a little bit overrated. My, my personal uh, philosophy is actually it's built on you start with everyday carry, which is the stuff that's like just on you at any given point. And there's going to be slightly different stuff for anybody. But for me, if I'm wearing something with pockets, I have my keys, my wallet, my phone, of course. There's a multi-tool, a tiny multi-tool on my keychain. You know, you can use that for Lots of weird small stuff. You never think you need a tool until you start carrying it, and then all of a sudden you use it all the time. I also carry a flashlight. I like the small tactical flashlights. They're actually one of the most useful self-defense items, not for hitting people with, although they're like built so they can like punch with them or whatever, but literally just for blinding people. And you don't need like strobe form or whatever. You just need to be able to press the button on the back and have a really bright light shine. And you point it in someone's eyes. And if it's at all nighttime or whatever, and you shine someone's eyes, they're going to be disoriented for a second. And that gives you time to run away or attack, depending on what you're trying to do. Probably, I think, the most important self-defense tool is a small handheld flashlight. I also carry a pocket knife, uh, like a folding pocket knife. If I'm walking around in a miniskirt, I often carry a big knife because it's legal where I live to carry a knife, which is just any knife big enough to tell people to by its presence. I carry a, like a full-size multi-tool often. And then personally, because I sometimes go armed, I also carry a tourniquet. And I often carry now the tourniquet, whether or not I'm going armed. It's a very small use case where you need a tourniquet. But those use cases of, you know, uh, serious wound to your extremities uh, can carry really quick. And guns are more and more of a threat for more and more people in the United States right now. So I think it's worth carrying. So that's like the like just pockets, right? Sometimes I'll have like a little credit card multi-tool and in my wallet. And then what I really like is having an emergency kit rather than a whole go bag because I want to have this on me all the time. You start reading like prepper things. They're like, okay, you need your go bag and then you need your get home bag that's in your car. And then you need your bag and your other thing and you need the other bag and you need the other bag. And what I do is I, I take a pouch. Uh, I use a slightly larger than, than these like military tactical pouches, like first aid pouches basically. And I stuff that full of anything that is like small, light, cheap that I use on a regular basis. And you can make slightly smaller ones with, you know, you cut out, you know, you don't put paracord in it or whatever, you know, you cut out some of the larger objects that might be in it. And there's all kinds of just tiny stuff that you can put into these kits. And then you just keep it in your backpack. Or if you don't carry a backpack, you keep it in the trunk of your car or, you know, you just like keep it on you or near you at any given point. And then no matter what, I'm going to have near me things like an emergency blanket, water filtration pills. Um, I carry a compass in mine. I, okay, so it's three different things. It's a first aid kit, it's a hygiene kit, and it's a survival kit. 
And the things that I use the most in it are like my, my hygiene stuff. You know, if I go stay somewhere and I forget my toothbrush, I have a tiny folding toothbrush and some toothpaste on me at any given point, you know, and I'll have some floss, which you can double as cordage in necessary in emergency. You can also sew with it. I'll keep some sewing needles because sewing needles are light and cheap and useful. I'll keep moist towelettes. I'll keep ibuprofen. I'll keep, uh, personally, I keep famotidine because of heartburn issues, you know, and, and these aren't, they're never my like, oh, I need an ibuprofen. I'm going to go to my emergency kit. These are always the like crap. I don't have access to my usual source of this. Fortunately, I have it. You know, I don't use it, my like hand sanitizer that's in there as my hand sanitizer unless I am completely screwed and forgot my hand sanitizer or whatever. And I really like this style of kit and I've been, I just make them and give them away. I put up a YouTube video of like explaining everything that I keep in mind personally. And the comments are full of people, with other really good ideas of what they put into them. So then above that, you have a go bag or a camping bag or, you know, uh, a, a larger bag, right. That has more for me, I live in the woods. So it's like more like camping type stuff. Right. If I live in a city, it might be slightly different. Although when I used to urban camp a lot, I used to live out of a backpack for most of my twenties. And, you know, I would sleep on rooftops and creeks behind strip malls and things. It's a lot of the same stuff that you're using on a daily basis. It's less like tents and it's more like sleeping bags, sleeping pads. Uh, though I used, used to use cardboard. Now I'm old and far prefer sleeping pads and. A, a better water filter. I don't like the chemical water filtration as much as a ceramic filter. So I use like a Sawyer style uh, ceramic filter. I relied on it for months at the beginning of the pandemic to filter my water for drinking and bathing. So I keep a bag like that. And then that's going to be really different depending on your purpose. It's basically just like you think about what might go wrong and like, you know, uh, I think about how, like, I feel like an idiot that I always drove around without a tire plug kit. You know, I didn't realize that most punctures in your tire, you can fix yourself for like $5 with a tire plug kit that's tiny and it fits in your trunk. It's way smaller than a spare tire, although you should have a spare tire if you can. You know, and like, just making sure you have a car jack and making sure you have, you know, how many times have you locked yourself out of a car? Just make sure you keep a spare key magneted to it somewhere. You know, how many times have you... Uh, let your battery die. And so not only just keep jumper cables, but if you can afford it, keep one of those little jumper boxes in your car. And that's a really good backup battery. Oh, another thing to keep in as many of these things as possible is like backup batteries and, uh, you know, keeping your cell phone charged. People are like, like I've posted things about like keeping your cell phone charged and people are like, Oh, what are you going to be doing playing video games on your phone? And I'm like, well, first of all, maybe, uh, I've lived alone in, off grid a lot. And I can tell you the importance of morale, you know, um, my Nintendo switch was very important to me at the beginning of this pandemic. So having that kind of stuff around and then at a home level, yeah, you might want, um, I would say personally the best thing for the most different types of people, most environments, it's a little bit pricier than some other options is to get a, it's called a solar generator and it's basically a giant lithium battery with a lot of like inputs and outputs. And you can keep it charged from your, your house. And then if power goes out, you have like a lot, a lot of power in this like large power bank. But they're also designed that you can plug in solar panels and charge them. And as you discovered, solar panels are not half as effective as the people claim they are. You know, it's like I have, um, 
1200 watts in front of my house, which is, you know, 12 decent sized solar panels. And in the sun, I'm maxing out at 800 watts. But most of the time I'm getting like 250 watts, things like that. And so if you get like your 50 watt, also these numbers are meaningless to people who I only had to learn all because the stuff because of solar having a solar panel can make the, a big difference. And even that little camping one that you probably got, it probably can charge your phone or at least keep your phone from dying. Just not happily or easily. You know, it's like the kind of thing where it's like if you hike all day, you might be able to turn on your cell phone long enough to send out a message, which is maybe the difference between life and death. So they're not useless. And I actually keep one of those little terrible folding solar panels in my bag, but it, it doesn't have any purpose in my house. I tried setting it up, you know, when I didn't have any other electricity and it wasn't doing anything meaningful. You know, whether from hurricanes rocking Puerto Rico to massive wildfires, as we said, I'm just curious your thoughts, you know, really on the present situation and how do you see things playing out over the next couple of years? Well, you'd be shocked to know that I think things are going to get a lot worse. Uh, you know, I remember at one point when I was being very doom and gloom, maybe 10, 15 years ago, my dad was like, you know, every generation thinks the world's going to end with them, right? And I thought about that a lot. And it kind of t tempered some of my, not enthusiasm, but conviction that the world might be ending. And then a couple of years later, my dad was like, you know, all the fish in the ocean are about to be dead. You know, and so it's like he came around, right? And then the other thing is that all these generations that thought that the world was going to end with them, uh, most of them were right. Um, the world could have ended with them. And also the end of the world is a, a process, not a moment. And it's also very unevenly distributed. And the world has ended for many, many people and cultures, you know, uh, as, as a white person living in North America, I live in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, right? But I, I, I do think that climate change is going to be substantially more impactful than people want to let themselves believe. You know, um, there's that book desert that came out, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so from a group of people looking at what it means that there's going to be this massive ecological crisis and how it might, and they, they present some ideas about how it might shift power and the, the cracks between the pavement that it might offer to resilient folks to try and make something new. And it was presented as this like green nihilist text, this like very doom and gloom text. And honestly, like I read it and I was like, I think that this is so optimistic. It's almost not useful. Like, because it's talking about habitable space and there's still being a lot of it very different, right? It's about talking about the desertification of large areas of space. Now that said, I'm wrong about stuff all the time. And I really hope I'm wrong about this one. But I personally think, um, well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, people don't want to hear it, but you know, I, 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 I think, uh, I think we need to learn to enjoy our lives because they might not continue just straight up, you know, and they might, like, I try to break down my, my, planning based around what might happen. One, we might be able to stop the end of the world. Two, we might all die in the end of the world. Three, the world might continue on. Actually, I don't remember what the fourth is, so maybe I'm accidentally three. Or the world might continue along the way it is, 
right? And so if we're doomed, we need to learn to live our lives and enjoy them as best as we can. If there's a chance to stop this, we need to do that. Oh, okay, I remember the fourth one. The other is like, it might happen despite us trying to stop it, but we can survive it, right? And then the fourth one is things might continue the way they are, which is, of course, you know, its own disaster for a lot of people, but substantially nicer for a lot of people. And so don't put all your eggs into the world is ending basket and don't put all your eggs into the you're just going to die basket and don't put all your eggs into any of these baskets. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. I think that if nothing else, these crises like the heat dome are going to become increasingly regular and it will be an interesting thing to see if global capitalism, which is remarkably hardy and has survived a lot of things, if it will survive this particular you know, worldwide thing. I think the other thing that we're going to have to worry about is essentially the bunker mentality writ large is the nationalistic idea. It's the idea of uh, we got ours, so to hell with you. You know, it's the idea of building walls to stop climate refugees. And I think it's a bad idea. I think if you were to take two cities and one of them takes all comers and one of them, it like holds themselves up and doesn't let anyone in or is very, very selective. I think that in the short term, the one that takes in all comers is going to have a few disadvantages and long term, it's going to be substantially better. Like even from an economic point of view, people make the economy, right? Um, Labor produces all wealth, all of these things, you know, um, the more people you have in your society, the, the better off you can be if they're organized, if we are organized well versus closing up your borders. But I think people are going to become, I think we're going to see a rise in fascism that we will not defeat as, and I say this not blithely, that we will not defeat as easily as we defeated the rise of fascism in the thirties and forties, because the underlying cause will not be addressed when we successfully defeat fascism this next time, which I believe we will. But because the underlying cause won't be addressed, I think it'll keep getting worse or keep coming up. I do think that there's a lot of hope. I think that there's a lot of ways in which finding cracks in what's happening is very beautiful. I think that moving towards a society of mutual aid is, you know, I mean, it's the bright side of the pandemic, right? But I hate talking about the bright side of a pandemic because it's not right to talk about, you know, to, to focus on the silver lining of a very dark cloud, except to help point out to people that like all is not lost and it's still worth trying to do things. I don't know. I, my last name's Killjoy and I earned it. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to move away from telling teenagers they're never going to live to be as old as me. So maybe we can all pull together and get this done. But if we're going to pull together and get things it's done, we have to face it. We can't continue to believe that electoral change could I'll put this as like politely as possible. Electoral change 
is certainly not moving at a rate that is fast enough to address these issues. Um, but I also think it's reasonable that people look at revolution as having a really, really bad track record and often makes things a lot worse. So that's why my, my hope is in the expansion of mutual aid uh, societies and not mutual aid societies, mutual aid organizations, things like that. Do you think that anarchists could not only approach responses to climate change, not only like in things like, you know, fighting line three or disaster relief, but also in this avenue of prepping, which would also then, you know, take space away from the right? I think that we do need to do that. I think that we do need to, you know, because part of the prepping that I explore with people is community preparedness and especially like social preparedness. And, you know, because it, it's, it's all the same thing, right? It's because preparedness is not just five gallon buckets of rice. That is not how you stop the end of the world. Uh, reforesting large swaths of, of the earth is how we do it. And is, you know, it's part of how we do it. And that can happen in a decentralized manner through either direct action or what would, always end up being direct action questions whether or not it's like illegal direct action you know we can we can make changes to our climate in positive ways at least on a microclimate level and and build up you know build up so many actions that it, it has larger effect and i think that's all part of preparedness you know i think that in addition to be able to like weather certain interruptions in service or whatever, we also need to look about rebuilding different, you know, there's a lot of, I find a lot of hope in cooperative economics and there's been this whole move to basically all these businesses that shut down to, to reopen them as cooperatives, right. And get rid of the bosses, get people like organizing horizontally cooperatives are very often involved in local mutual aid efforts because even though they're existing within a capitalist economy, at least the cooperatives that I'm excited about, like don't, that's not their focus is competing in a capitalist system, but instead you know, feeding people or whatever it is that the, the co-op is interested in. I do think that we can, we can build all of these things together and build back different and, and come back different. And I, and I definitely think it's useful for us to, I mean, it's not even like taking space away from the right wingers. The right wingers are not doing anything useful as preparedness people by and large on an individual level. They're, you know, in a family level and sometimes a sort of compound level, they're, they're holding up with guns and resources and, you know, and that's absolutely going to have an impact on things and it shouldn't be written off. Although I actually wouldn't write off all of those individuals and compounds and things like that. Like your neighbor who's, garage is full of beans and rice i bet you will share you know more likely than not uh, especially if you approach politely and especially if you talk to him ahead of time but but we actually occupy this space more effectively already because we do it on a community and social level and we just tend not to do it as much on an individual level the current conceptions of mutual aid projects you know at least where i live and where i'm from largely are coming from anarchist spaces. We're obviously influenced by things that would not call themselves anarchists. But yeah, I, th I think we can do that. And, and you know, it, encouraging individual preparedness is just kind of a, it's almost a way to just get people talking about it. 
you know, and, and get it so that we can have that be a base to build people up also to the community and social level of preparedness. A lot of people, when I talk about preparedness, they feel like they're, they can't, you know, they're like, well, I'm not, you know, able-bodied. I'm not, I'm surrounded by people who are very opposed to my existence based on, you know, some identity marker. You know, people have very good reasons to see the space of prepping as this uh, exclusive and privileged space. I'm poor is a very important one of these things, you know, and, and I, I really want to encourage people to think about preparedness, not just in these like terrible ableist terms of like, how am I going to hike 30 miles by myself? Anyone who can't keep up with me is, you know, dead to me or whatever. Right. But instead thinking about how, you know, this, the, the slogan or cliche we use is we keep us safe. Right. And I'm in almost every situation safer with someone else near me than by myself. And so community preparedness isn't just about making your community prepared in terms of like these infrastructural projects or whatever, right? But instead about thinking about things from a community point of view and thinking about if you're gathering resources, you're gathering them to share. Because, you know, if I have the option of having a $50 headlamp or me and you know, a $60 headlamp or me and two other people have a $20 headlamp. If the $20 headlamp is almost as good, which it usually is, I would rather that two other people I know have headlamps. Even from a pure self-interest point of view, if the people around me are safer and more capable, I'm in a better situation. And I want to encourage people to think about things in those ways. And then also think about the things that you do have to offer that seem outside of the traditional prepping sphere. And, you know, someone who's good at telling stories is incredibly useful. You know, someone who's like old enough to have just experience and like relate the things that have happened in the past so that, you know, if everything is a science experiment, they've seen more iterations of the experiment and they can like report back on, on what has happened and what works. There's always something, I think, that people would have to offer. And I think that it also, one of the things, if you're an outgoing person, one of the things that you could have to offer is talking to people and helping them see these things about themselves, helping people see the ways in which they can do things. Because a lot of people are like, well, a lot of anarchists my age don't love going to demos anymore because we're all shell-shocked. And actually probably a lot of young anarchists don't want to go to demos anymore because we're all shell-shocked, right? And you know, helping people see that they're still useful is is uh, one of the most useful things of all. I don't know. It's it's cheesy, but I I think that that matters more than how many buckets of beans and rice you have, which I have a lot of. It's easier. It's much easier to just um, solve things through buying things. I don't know if you knew this. How can people follow your work? You can follow me. I'm I'm on Twitter at Magpie Killed. Joy, Instagram at Margaret Killjoy. I'm on Patreon for now as patreon.com slash Margaret Killjoy. And I, I publish a zine every month, although I'm terribly behind from the pandemic. I haven't caught up yet. And there's about 40 some zines up there. Also, if you 
make less money. If you live off of less money than I make on Patreon, just contact me and I'll give you all my work for free. All the work that's Patreon locked for free. And if you, you know, my, my main band is Feminaz Ghoul. I'm also, I also do a solo dark pop project called Nomadic War Machine and I'm in an anti-fascist neo-folk band called Ulcerith and I'm in a synth pop dark wave band called the lathe and i'm in a i have a solo doom metal project called vulgarite i do a lot of different stuff i sort of obsessively produce things and i write fiction including there's going to be it'll probably be announced by the time this comes out ak press is republishing my anarchist utopian book a country of ghosts uh, at the end of this year You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. This week on the show, we heard part two of a two-part show with anarchist podcaster Margaret Kiljoy on the topic of anarchist prepping. And you can check out Margaret's podcast at liveliketheworldisdying.com. And today's interview was sourced with thanks from Anarchist Digital Community Centre. It's going down at itsgoingdown.org. And if you missed part of today's show or you want to check out part one of this episode, you can find our podcast at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, why not rate us and or give us a review to help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com and you can also find us on your socials. That's all for today, but don't forget, tune in next week for more environmental justice stories.
When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Generally, like older, wetter forests slow down the path of fire, and this is actually quite a well-known phenomenon. Historically, these big, large fires have been quite rare, but what we've seen in the last 20 years is they're becoming quite a lot more common. So we've had three in the last 20 years. This is definitely because of climate change, which is making our ecosystems a lot drier and the fire weather more intense. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au